Wow, there's a lot of people here. That's so cool. This morning I'm going to be reading from Psalm 90. Actually, I'm going to read the entire psalm. Uh, and I'm realizing I need one of those super giant print Bibles. So if I bend over, bear with me. <laughs> uh, okay, Psalm 90, starting in verse 1, says... Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or by, even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long have you pity on your servants? Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you are indeed everlasting to everlasting. Lord, you are everlasting during our joy, and you're everlasting during our sorrow. You're everlasting in our victories and in our defeats, in our pain and in our health. Help us, God, to cling to that, as we face the times that we face today. Help us to remember, Lord, that you are God and there is no other and that all of our hope is placed in you. We thank you, Lord, for your many blessings and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There is a lot of people. This may be the biggest crowd we've had this year. That's great. Uh, or not so. Wait a minute. Uh, everything's falling apart up here. Yell, Corey, anytime. I'm not a weekly staple here. So, uh, yeah, great crowd. I'm glad to glad to see you all here and. I'm one of those weird guys, unlike a lot of the other 
uh, deacons and elders that likes to teach. <laughs> and so it's really a privilege. Um, and it's sort of cool because I try to stay ahead of Jackie. I never know when he's going to be gone. And what, what the last time he called before this one and asked, I was on top of a mountain deer hunting. And he wanted me to cover for a Wednesday night, and it just didn't work out. But this time when he asked, um, the Lord had already given me a word that just in my study for me. And so you get to uh, study along with me what he's showing me for this, for this time. And it is quite a time, isn't it? Uh, this last week um, ranks right up there with one of the most chaotic weeks maybe this country has ever had. Um, so we're going to... I'm going to give you what God has shared with me in my heart. And, and I want to start, first of all, giving you uh, an outline for today. If you want to put that slide up there, Ori. Just, uh, this is for me. You know, I'm a retired school teacher, so I have to have a lesson plan and hold myself accountable. You know, when you, when you teach, you, you have to sometimes do four or five lessons in a row every day and so by fourth period you don't know what you said and so if you don't have an outline uh, to follow then you're all over the place so thus today overview of Psalm 90 I'm just going to highlight a couple things but really the verse that the Lord gave me was verse 12 uh, to Lord to, to teach us uh, wisdom number our days are right that we could have a heart of wisdom that's that's the word that was stuck in my heart that I, that I was studying, and then to establish our hands. And then the second part, uh, I'm going to give us a diet plan. Everybody, uh, I won't ask you to raise hands, but how many gained a lot of weight in the last two weeks? <laughs> I gained three pounds in the last two days, Bob, thanks to you and your ice cream cake. So, uh, yeah, the diet thing is, is big this time of year. And then thirdly, I'm going to narrow it down, get real specific to three different age groups here. The first one are young people still living at home, or you can include yourself if you're not, but specifically those that are still under the parents' authority in the home. And then next, I want to talk to parents who are training up those children. And then lastly, us old folks, the retirees, the over-the-hillers, uh, on their last breath, you know, one foot in the grave uh, kind of folks. And the Bible addresses all of those and all those age groups. So Psalm 90 is, uh, is a really neat psalm. It's a prayer of Moses for God to, to teach us to number our days aright and to establish our hands. It talks a lot about time, if you noticed, in that chapter. It talks about time. Uh, it specifically uh, says, like grass in verse 5, that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. Time is short. Uh, we're all heading down in terms of our, our health and, and everything. It, it, we're not getting better. We're getting older and things are falling apart. Uh, time is short. Our days are numbered. Uh, as we're going to talk about in verse 10, 70 years, 
that's where I'm at. Um, I'm, I could go any second. If I go during this message, Jackie, you got to pick up the ball. Uh, but the point is that time is short, and we so often don't consider the days and number them. Uh, we sort of just look past it and say, well, everything's going to stay the same, and we know it doesn't. Uh, there are, yet their lifespan is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. And you can say amen to the toil and trouble. So we're gonna, those are some of the things we're going we're gonna to look at in, in these different uh, verses in Psalms 90. Personally, add to one thing Rich said about the division. That's absolutely right. And I would say, my opinion I'm going to really try not to uh, offend or stir up because there's so much division. You have to be so careful what you say. You almost can't talk to anybody about things that are happening because you don't know the response. But my opinion right now, with all the stuff that's coming down so fast, the enemy is working overtime. He's on steroids because he knows his days are short. And... Some of the things that have happened even this past week are just unbelievable. Uh, and so you know that something's behind it. And, and I believe the enemy is going for all he can uh, now because he knows. And I believe that revival is coming. When things get bad and dark gets darker, what happens? The light gets lighter. So that's my opinion. And uh, thus... It's time for us to step up. Uh, at the end of every year on December 31st at 11.59 p.m. Christmas or New Year's Eve, uh, John Piper has this little thing he does called death rehearsal. He does a death rehearsal. Has anybody read that devotional if you get John Piper? Uh, he does a death rehearsal. And in this death rehearsal, uh, he has sort of a routine that he does. And he looks back on the year. In this case, it would be 2020. And he does a trial run at his own dying. He does a trial run at his own dying. And he asks himself, did I live well? Did I honor God with my life and then he examines himself and asks the Lord to t show him just as we do every time we take communion to examine ourselves and to look back specifically in his life and say what do I need to do what do I need to do differently and I think it's a great exercise uh, we do it once a month but we sort of go through it fast so I'm going to take some time and go through it slower and probably do a little bit of uh, personal probing into your lives because that's what God's been doing to me. Uh, and specifically, are my days being numbered according to his will? So this death rehearsal that he does, uh, I want to read a paragraph to you. It says, I suppose for some of you the thought of dying is so morbid, so gloomy, so fraught with grief and pain that you do your best to keep it out of your minds, especially during holidays. 
I think that it is unwise and that you do yourself a great disservice. I have found that there are a few things more revolutionizing for my life than a periodic pondering of my own death. So many times we, you know, we hear the phrase, uh, well done, thy good and faithful servant, and we all, all want to hear that from the Lord. Uh, but what do we do actively, daily, to make that a reality? And so uh, we're going to do that this morning. And I want to I talk about specifically some of the, uh, the age groups and what God really does expect of us daily. And he's very clear. He, you know, the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. So it's, it's all there, everything that we need to know. You know, our challenge... Uh, not just now, during this mess that we're in in our country, but every day is to keep the faith and finish strong. That's always the challenge. What's the enemy doing now? He's trying to divide. He's deceiving. He's destroying. And so our challenge is to keep the faith. Then Second Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who he have, has loved is appearing. You know, our race is not against uh, hopelessness. I mean, our race is against uh, hopelessness, not uh, flawlessness. You know, the race that we're fighting is not uh, against unbelief nor sickness. Our race is against uh, not so much how healthy we are, but again, hopelessness, lack of faith, unbelief. So many you know, the whole theme this past year has been about uh, sickness and death. And that's exactly where God wants to keep us, thinking about our mortality. You know, what's my temperature? What's my oxygen level? I mean, everything is focused on how we feel. And it's become so much of a, a distraction to really what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Uh, we've, been, uh, we've been shut down in many cases uh, emotionally, mentally, because of the whole thought of sickness and death and dying. And that's not how we're supposed to live, biblically. So, the diet plan. The 2021 diet plan. Here it is. It's pretty simple. Everybody can do it. The good news is scales aren't involved. You don't have to get on the scale and depress yourself. Um, I did that this morning and it wasn't pretty. Uh, this diet plan, How to Walk in Wisdom, comes right from the Word. In fact, it is the Word. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. 
Jeremiah ate them. Now, I, don't, I didn't do a big study on what that means. I heard of a guy one time that actually did that. He ate the pages. I don't think that's what he's saying here. But he does want us to digest them. And as we're going to look at some other scriptures here, that has to be our daily diet. That has to be what we consume every single day. Matthew Henry, uh, the author of a, a very common commentary, you widely commentary, said that it ought to be the business of every day. It ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last. We really need to do that if we want that word from Jesus telling us that we did it good. I like, I like acronyms. I like the PPPPPs. I've got several of them. I got another one for you this morning. I've used them at the men's breakfast. Today, the PPPPP stands for Proper Priorities Prevent Poor Performance. Proper Priorities Prevent Poor Performance. Priorities, really, that's what's going to dictate if we stick to the diet, right? How much self-discipline we have. Do we have a plan? And the plan that God gives us is to stay in his word, to get in his word, to stay in fellowship, and to worship. Uh, our diet plan is to develop a, a plan for fellowshipping with him every day. All our wisdom comes, you know, we, you know that the word says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And making him a priority in your daily plan uh, shows and, and will give us wisdom. Benefits of the word. You know, you know these, but just to remind you the, the benefit of this diet, diet plan. Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That word blessed in the Hebrew means happy. If there's one thing that we need as believers is to be happy. If you want to be happy, get in the word. Spend time with the Lord. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word gives us clarity. When I'm sure it's the same with you. When you sit down in your private devotion time and you get into the word, he will illuminate things to you. He illuminated verse 12 in this chapter for me. And I just got thinking about it and then other thoughts came to my mind and he illuminates his word and it almost not always but almost always it's when I'm, I'm reading the scriptures or listening to them or reading a devotional about them but the word just sort of jumps out and it illuminates and it gets my attention and that is a that is a tremendous uh, emotion. It's a tremendous, it brings joy, it brings happiness when the God of the universe is talking to me. He's speaking personally to me. You know, when I, when I read this verse, the first thing I thought of with a lamp is a headlamp. You know, I, I love hunting and, and uh, I, I'm into getting the best headlamp 
so I can see good uh, when I'm out there in the dark trying to get up to that place before daylight. Uh, and, and so a headlamp, if you notice, can't see anything around you, but it helps you focus. The word helps us focus on the next step. We are commanded to live daily, to live step by step. And the, and the word, the lamp, gives us that focus in our daily lives. Psalm 19.8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That word enlightening in the Hebrew means luminous, uh, where we get the word lumen. And again, going back to headlamps, you know, they're all rated by lumens. The more lumens you have, the brighter the light. You know, so the more light that we have, the more we can see. And it's, it's, a, uh, it's an incredible thing when God opens things up in your eyes of, through his eyes of understanding. He, he shows you things that you never saw before. And he does it with the word, that lamp unto our feet and light in our path. Psalm 119, 130. Psalm 119, 130 says, The unfolding of your words give light. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. You know, it's interesting how many Christians... Today, we talked about division in the church, how people see things differently. Have you, have you noticed? Um, and that's a whole, <laughs> that's a roundtable discussion, I suppose. But, uh, but, there, but we know that Jesus is the truth. His word is truth. And the more that we get in it, we necessarily can't judge others' interpretation only with Scripture, but... but the word does say that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us into all truth. And so it's not just the word, my opinion, that we have to, yeah, you can sit there and read the word, but if you don't have the influence of the Holy Spirit, if you don't invite him into your, into your reading session, your study session, Lord, uh, you know, open up my eyes. Let me hear your voice. Let me see clearly what you want me to see. The Holy Spirit has to be part of the process. It's not just black and white pages. And that so many times gets left out. We do things, you know, one year through the Bible. We do our Bible study. We do our BSF. We have all these duties that we do. But the most important thing in, in our study of the word is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives us the truth directly from him. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the, te and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. The reproofs of discipline are the way of life. That's what light does to our life. When you shine the light on, on your life, what happens? A plumb line appears. And we see all the crooked places. And that's a good thing. Correction, it says in Proverbs, is good. A wise man receives it. 
And the word gives that to us daily, and we need it every day. The commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. It shows us those places in our life that he wants to work on and change us into more like him. Third thing I want to talk about here is uh, this first age group. I've got three different age groups I want to mention. Uh, The young people at home, still under their parents' care, and then the the parents themselves, and then us old folks. So how many young people are still living at home? Please stand up. I'm not going to make you do anything. Don't worry. Just stand up. I want to make sure we have some. We got some. That's good. You got caught out in the hallway, huh? (laughs) Good. You can sit down. So I'm talking to you guys specifically here. I'm talking to you specifically because the word talks to you specifically too. And this is what the word says in 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Don't let anyone tell you that you're not important in the kingdom of God. The fact of the matter is you probably have more access to the world than any of us. Everybody thinks kids are cute. Well, maybe not the older kids, but the younger ones anyways. <laughs> and so you have an access that, that other people don't. And you can get, actually get by with a lot more in terms of penetrating that darkness. God has a special plan for you right now. I love what you're doing, Lori. I think that's great. Uh, Young people, God has an expectation. He wants to use you. And you need to find out, with the help of your parents, how specifically he wants to do that. Because everybody has a different uh, course, a different ministry, a different gift, talent. You need to find and be looking for that. Make that a priority when you pick up your word. Pick up the word and get into it and study. Say, Lord, how do you want to use me? In Psalm 127.4, it says, Psalm 127.4, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Children, young people, you're arrows in God's eyes. Now, what does an arrow do? An arrow is an offensive weapon. It's not defense, sit around watching video games and just doing what all the young people, you know. It's an offensive weapon. It's used to go out. I hate to use the word kill something, but you are to destroy the works of the enemy is what it goes on to say later in Psalms. An arrow specifically is to be used. It has a purpose. And young people, God wants to use you for his purpose. In his plan. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says. Remember also your creator. In the days of your youth. Before the evil days come. And the years draw near. Of which you will say. I have no pleasure in them. Young people make the word. A priority right now. Form that habit. Whatever habits are. are, uh, Difficult to change. When you get older. If you can form the habit of putting your devotion time first every day 
It will stay with you and it will do all the benefits that we read earlier. Just as it will for everyone else. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, I'll put young people in front of it. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. God does not want you to waste your younger years. He wants you to use them for him. One of the things that the enemy is, is really... Uh, doing to destroy young people, everybody, not just young people, uh, is this uh, thing right here. I mean, it's a good thing, but I don't know about you, but it's sure annoying to see everybody on it all the time. The damage that it's doing in relationships and all the other things that you can access from it uh, is not from the Lord, although there are a lot of good things uh, that we surely can use it for. You can put <clears throat> devotionals on it every day. You can put your Bible app on there and use that. And there's a lot of good things. But unfortunately, there's an awful lot of bad things. And, and young people, monitor your screen time. Make sure that you are investing in the right things when you do use it. There's a Netflix video out now, parents, I would encourage all of you to watch it with your kids called The Social Dilemma. And it is produced by all the founders of Facebook and Instagram and Google and all those t big tech companies that bailed out and saw the addiction that it was creating in people and now they are denouncing it. These people that created this stuff don't even let their own kids use it because of the damage it does to them. I would encourage you to pull it up on Netflix and watch it. It's unbelievable. The, and they even go so far as to say the addiction on these screens is worse than the op opioid addiction. And I, I believe it. Young people... 1 Corinthians 7.35 says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Your undivided devotion to the Lord. He wants to use you right now. There's nothing more exciting than to see young people ministering, whether it's in nursing homes or or. Uh, uh, wherever, in schools, Bible studies, it's, a, it's a tremendous to see young people work, work, uh, doing their ministry. And then lastly, the last scripture I have for, for you folks, uh, Acts 2, 17 through 19. How, how do you know? How do you know what God wants you to do? How do you know uh, specifically? Well, of course, you have to seek, just like all the rest of us, you have to seek first the kingdom and he will give you everything that you need to know. You've got to make it a priority again. Go back to that same word. Make it a priority to find out how he wants to use you. And then the role of the Holy Spirit is to show you and to fill you. And to empower you and equip you to do that work of the ministry that he's called you to do. 
In Acts 2, 17 and 19, it says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on the flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs below. God wants to pour out his spirit on you, folks. All of us, but young people, he wants to use you. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. If we could, I know this might be a little embarrassing for you, but I really felt like we should pause right now and take a minute because the reason we are where we are in this country is because of what our young people have been taught at home, in college, and all the other places they have been taught by the world. God has a different plan and purpose. And I believe that the, the change has to start in the home, has to start with us fathers. It has to be transferred to the kids. And that's how this change is going to happen. It's going to be slow, but that's the plan. So if you don't mind, young people, just you know, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Just stand up. And I want all of us right now to pray. Come on, you guys. Come on. Felipe, stand up. And let's take a minute, and folks, you know, parents, lay hands on them. Uh, and let's just take a minute and pray right now. Father God, I just thank you for these young people. Lord, I pray right now that you would give them a vision for their future. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon them. Lord, that you would stir their hearts. Lord, that you would give them a desire and a passion to serve you and know you and make it a priority in their lives. And Lord, at the same time, I pray for the parents of these children. Lord, that you would equip them and show them how to direct their specific children. Lord, that you would uh, give them wisdom, understanding. Lord, and we just want to thank you that, that you love them and you have a plan for them. Use them in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Thanks for bearing with me on that. Okay, parents, your turn. <laughs> Parents, uh, fathers, Ephesians 6, 4. Although mothers, you have to pay attention because that word fathers can mean parents too. So Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Deuteronomy is a, a, a book that's often used many times before Deuteronomy. Let's, let me go back to... Uh, Psalm 127. Psalm 127, we read verse 4 already for, for the young people. In 3 through 5, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. If children are the arrows 
then us parents are the archers. And we have a specific responsibility. Now, getting into archery here eight or nine years ago, I know more about archery than I ever wanted to know. Uh, an archer has the responsibility of tuning his bow, making sure the cams are, are set right, making sure that the string is waxed and the broadheads are sharpened. And then he has to practice. Practice, practice, practice. And over and over again, every time you have to develop a technique of how to shoot, and you have to do the same thing every time to ensure accuracy. And then probably the most important thing, and I think where we as parents so often miss the mark, no pun intended, is that we don't follow through. In archery, as in just about any other sport, if you don't follow through, with an arrow, when you shoot, if you just shoot, let her go, and that's it, you won't come close most of the time. You have to follow through. You have to keep your eye on where you want to hit, and you have to watch that arrow go to that place until it hits, and then keep watching afterwards. The follow-through is the consistency that we need as parents. Now, Joe and I have five kids. We raised five kids. Our baby is, what, 32 now or something like that, and so we're, we're past that point, but I can tell you that it takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of consistency, self-discipline to follow through, and it's tiring, but it has to be done. If you don't follow through, if you're not consistent, especially in areas of, of uh, discipline and work ethic and respect and those important uh, characters, then, you, you know, you're going to have issues. For me, I am so grateful that in 19, the late 80s, 87, 88, somewhere around there, I went to a, a conference put on by, by Paul Jaley, who was a pastor back in Plymouth Rock, Massachusetts, and he put on a conference called Raising a Generation of Christian Statesmen. And uh, at the time, I think our oldest, Anna, was like what, 11 or 12 or something like that, 10, 11 and he challenged parents uh, the same way that I just challenged you young people. Uh, God wants to use you. God wants to, to use your children, parents, for great things. God wants a generation of Christian statesmen, of Christian politicians, of Christian every occupation. If we do our job, that's what we will have. And he spoke to my heart and changed, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and changed my direction at that conference. And I, my priorities changed. And I pray that for each one of you parents as well. If you don't have a vision, ask God for one. Because you know what happens if you don't have a vision. And it's so important to follow through with that vision. Because you don't have your kids for very long. And the, the time you put into them now and the priority will never, you will never regret it. You may get very frustrated and angry and all the other emotions, but you will never regret it. It is the best investment of time and energy that you'll ever make. I'm so grateful to the Lord for him putting that on my, my life and, and making me the father that he wanted me to be. 
In Deuteronomy 4.9, it says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Now listen carefully. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Make them known. How do you do that? How do you make them known to your children? Well, you know, you can have the morning devotions and pull them out of bed at 7 o'clock, and we did that, and they probably got nothing out of it because they were still sleeping. But the pattern was established and the priority. But I think looking back, the most important thing is not what you teach them so much is what they see you doing. Where's your priorities? Do you get up in the morning and have private time with the Lord? Do you make the word a priority in your life? Tim Hansel said, more is caught than taught. And I think that's true. You have to be the example, parents, if you want them to put the Lord first in their lives. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Follow through. Make it a priority. Proverbs 22.6. Everybody knows this one. Train up a child in the way he should go, teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. That's an amplified version. I like that. Find out what their giftings are. God has a special DNA just for them. He created them with that. Make a point of prayer to find out what that is and direct them in that. Now, I have five kids. I have 15 grandkids, and they're a hoot. A lot more fun than raising kids, for sure. And I have my latest, grand, my latest grandson is, gonna, is a year old this month. And we went down over Thanksgiving and visited them in Fort Worth. Fort Worth, Bonnie, where are you? How, how do you say it? Fort Worth. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, my son, my number three son, Luke, has this little boy. Cutest thing, you know, he's a year old. They're all cute. But he has this, this issue. Uh, they put him in the high chair and he loves to eat. I mean, this boy puts it down like most boys. The problem is, if Ashton, his mother, doesn't keep the food on the tray, he screams. I mean, he doesn't just scream, he pierces your eardrums. And I'm not kidding. I mean, it's so bad that his siblings have three, have four kids, they put their hands over their ears as soon as the food goes off the tray. Because his name is Bo. Bo screams and it just, it just blows everybody's eardrums out. So Luke and Ashton came up with this plan of how to train him up in the way he should go. Very important thing, right? Patience. We're still learning it. So he came up with this great plan. I got to show you a video clip of Luke training up Bo how to be patient. Can you run that, Ori? I hope. Okay, he's getting there. Carl's going back to help. Appreciate these guys back there, Ori and Corey and Carl and everybody doing all that sound stuff. And it's really comp. And Savannah, who helped me put all this stuff on the computer. And 
Is it going to work? You're fired. That's, that was the whole point of my message. Well, Jonathan, now, now we're getting the heavy hitters up there. Jonathan is our tech guy. If you need any tech work done, he's the man. It worked Thursday night. <laughs> well, while they're getting that, I'll leave it to Jonathan. I know Jonathan can figure it out. He is a brainiac. <laughs> so when you do, just holler. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we as parents need to train up our children. And in Proverbs 22.15 says, don't worry about getting it up on the screen, but get that video clip figured out if you can. But it says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline, correction administered with godly wisdom and loving kindness will remove it far from him. The rod of correction is probably the, one of the most lacking things in, in parenting these days. From my observation as a junior high teacher of 38 years, because I get to see the end product of your discipline in the classroom. Not, nothing personal, but I'm just telling you that uh, the lack of respect in any I know we have one teacher in here in the classroom. Any other teachers that are still in the classroom? Okay, a second one. Would you disagree that the lack of respect is one of the primary obstacles in teaching today? Uh, for me, of course, 40 years ago, it was a whole lot different. My first 20 years, I, got, I felt guilty for getting paid. In the last 20 years, you couldn't pay me enough. And the reason being was because the kids came now with no sense of respect for authority. Absolutely none. I could tell story after story. Of course, I was junior high and high school, mostly junior high, so that obviously is a very challenging age group. Probably not like that so much in elementary school. No, it is like that too. So, but this, the whole point of the rod of correction, the rod of discipline, uh, is to drive foolishness out, to teach, to drive that rebellion far away from them. And I think the Bible means what it says. Uh, the important part is here is if, if parents, if you don't teach them to respect authority before they leave the home, they're going to have a hard time respecting God and his authority. You, that's one of the most important things we can do as parents. Teach them how to respect authority, to submit to authority, to honor authority. That is a life lesson that will take them, save them so much heartache later in life. Some of the things that you can do uh, as parents is not only to teach them respect for authority, but teach them to work. I don't know how many people I've talked to that tell me, uh, employers, they can't find anybody to work they don't show up for work they don't robin could probably tell us stories with employees and uh, a lot of you guys that have to hire people it's hard to find good help now they never learned how to work work is a blessing it's not part of the curse teach your kids how to work follow through with that make them finish the job don't let them off the hook okay folks now we're in the last 
bottom of the ninth here. The, the old fo- You got it? Okay. Bo, here's my grandson. Take a deep breath. Good job. <laughs> Training up a child in the way he should go. One years old. Love it. You know what? That'll work. That'll work. That's a great. I wish I would have thought of that. That's that's great. Okay, old folks, Psalm 90, verse 10. You got that, Ori? We back up? Good. Psalm 90, verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. You know, there's, there was a movie called Shawshank Redemption. Anybody ever see that, Morgan Freeman? He had a line in there. It was a great line that I remember. I don't remember too much else but they're trying to escape out of prison and the one guy didn't want to go with them through the sewer line remember to escape and he said hey hey partner uh you gotta get busy living or you're gonna get busy dying one or the other remember that part and that's what we have to do as old people a lot of old people are just waiting to die they say well you know i'm retired get the motor home get the golf cart whatever here I come, Arizona. I mean, not if you do that, that's fine. I'm not saying that's bad. But God has bigger plans than golfing and motorhomes and, and all that. In fact, retirement's not even in the Bible. Uh, he has special plans for us old folks. He has things for us to do. I listed a couple of them real quick. Uh, number one, in uh, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, restore the strain. We have more time. We can invest in people. Uh, I enjoy the extra time I have that I can invest. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, Number two, encourage and help the weak. 1 Thessalonians. I might skip over a couple, Ori. I'm running out of time here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. We have more time to do that when we don't have a full-time job that straps us down or kids at home. Number three, stir each other up. This is my specialty. Hebrews 10, 22. And let us consider... And give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another. Studying how we may stir up, stimulate, and incite to love and helpful deeds and noble activities. Fourth thing we can do is visit the widows, orphans, and imprisoned. Uh, James one twenty seven: Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained. From the world. Lots of opportunities to minister in nursing homes and uh, care centers, hopefully soon, not right now. 
Matthew 25, 35, and 36, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. The prison ministry, I just want to put a plug in. Uh, I'm a chaplain at Twin Falls County Jail, and uh, we have a tremendous opening and opportunity for anybody that wants to get into uh, jail ministry. We are now going remote in all the jails except Twin Falls. Uh, I do one-on-one visits there, but we have remote. You can do, you can visit from your home. We have 70-inch TV set up in the jails, and it's a really cool deal. You schedule a time, a couple hours, you pick the day, and you can do remote visits. If you're interested in the jail ministry, see me. I'll get you lined up. It's easy. Uh, and it's an unbelievably rewarding ministry. You get to share the gospel to people that made some bad choices, but they want to change. Okay, I've given you a lot of to-dos. A lot of to-dos. Well, the Bible in James 1.22 says, be doers of the word, for sure. But it also says in Psalm 46.10, to be still. So we have this conflict, I do in my life, and I'm sure you do, to go out and do things for God, but then we have to be still. And we have to hear his voice and learn how to find that place of rest, which is the most challenging thing for me, for sure. Uh, Luke 10, the Mary and Martha story. I got I to gotta end on this because it really... These two ladies really sum it up in a a different perspective I'm going to give you this morning. Luke 10, 38 through 42 says, Martha and Mary, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now listen, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary chose the better thing. And so I believe that we are called to be both. To do or to be, that is the question. Romeo and Juliet, that was a joke. Uh, To do or to be, and the answer is both. Another dual point truth. (laughs) We are called to do both. But the important thing is, we have to start by being in him. If we're not doing things in him, working from a place of rest, then it's going to turn into burnout and we're going to get discouraged and it's going to be very, very difficult. I've got a story, but it's a five-minute story. Should I read it or not? If I talk too long? Well, I'll tell you what. I have a hero. I want to be like Mabel. Mabel is a, is a true, she's a lady. 
Um, she's probably passed by now, but she lived in a state nursing home. And I want to read you a story about Mabel. And this is, this is for all old folks, but everybody, it's never too late. And there's not a, any limitation that you or I would have that would prevent us from ministering and to impacting the kingdom. Okay, this is Mabel's story. And it's a long one. It's about five minutes, so, so bear with me. Tremendous testimony of uh, how, to, how to be when you can't do. As I neared the end of the hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over her one ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek, and it had pushed her nose to one side. Dropped one eye and distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand this sight, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in that hallway. But I put a flower in her hand and said, here's a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it. And then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you, it's lovely, but can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know, I'm blind. I said, of course, and I pushed her in the chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one, and I stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until 1950 when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent home. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches, and stomach aches, and then the cancer came too. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays when I usually visited, the stench was often overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible, and often I would pause. She would continue reciting the passage from memory, word for word. On other days, I would take a book of hymns and sing her, with her, 
and she would know all the words of the old songs. For Mabel, these songs were not merely exercises in memory. They would, she would often stop and mid him and make a brief comment about lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain, except in the stress she placed on certain lines in certain hymns. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. I would go to her with a pen and paper to write down the things she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in 10 directions at once with all of the things that I had to think about. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I sent, I went to her and asked, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And she said, I think about my Jesus. I sat there and I thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me, you know. I'm one of those kinds who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. This is not fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. I knew her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled, and so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without an explanation of why it was happening. And she lay there and sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that you and I don't have much of. She had power. Lying there in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone, she had incredible power. Let's pray. Father, we call upon your name this morning, and we ask for that power. Lord, we ask that you would, would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that starting this new year, that, we, that you would give us a desire, Lord, to pursue you like we've never pursued you before. Lord, that you would give us a priority, put you first in everything, Lord, Establish new habits in our life. Take bad ones away from us this year. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, we look to you. We know that you are the author and finisher of our faith. That our fight is really a fight to walk in the spirit and to walk by faith. 
Lord, we just ask that you would do it to these people. Everyone sitting here, everyone listening. Lord, we know that the answer is you. Lord, we know that we need more of you. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.